If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity blah. Blubbity blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity blah. Good vibes. Blubbity blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. Spiritually, he's a solar hero who will on occasion go down into the opposite, into this world of night, of mystical women and dragons. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be talking to Michael Michelides a little bit later. Actually, just Graham will be. Uh, because this was a, well, not a last minute across the pond, but I definitely didn't check my calendar. And I didn't notice to the last minute that uh, this interview was scheduled right in the middle of the day. And I couldn't make it. But Graham pulled it off, and I'm sure it's fantastic. Yeah, it was a good chat. I mean, he's he's got a whole series on Ancient Greece Revisited and, and on Tyranny podcast. So it, it kind of was fitting in with sort of our philosophical stuff, like the one we did with Michael Millerman and all that. And sh- should we say it was going to be for? It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah it was going so to be out loud, but it was too L-Lod. short. We have a whole other show, by the way, a whole other podcast that we'll talk about a little bit more later because I have an email related to it. But it was going to be for Outlawed, but it was only an hour long and I did, we didn't want to split it up and, and that. So we uh, put it out in this feed. I think it'll be okay. Hopefully we won't get canceled. I mean, we do get a little bit into some controversial stuff. I mean, it is talking about a history that's really not acceptable to talk about these days. So let's just. Well, I think YouTube dropped a bunch of stuff you can get canceled for. Like a bunch of the stuff that they deleted or outlawed YouTube channel for is okay again. Oh, nice. Nice. I mean, <laughs> just, you can't keep up with these rules. Too late. Lives. You already fucking torched us. I don't think so we have any a, strikes yeah. right now, though. So it's a great chat. Anyways, I'll have to watch it. And I've got, I've got, a, I've got a quote for you that's going to uh, bleed into an email that's going to talk about outlawed, and then it's going to get into project operations. So, it's, oh it, boy, and it's gonna, it's gonna be like a whole like you got this all planned out. Not really, not no. deep, dude. I'm just winging it, but I'm just talking, telling you, I got it. Kind of, it, it can flow from one to the next year. Interesting. So this is where we chit chat about stuff. Uh, we sort of do some housekeeping and get listener emails involved. I've got a synchronicity that's uh, for Darren. For me, actually, no. I've got memes for Darren and a synchronicity Ooh, for me. I love, and memes. that's the one that's going to lead to t- uh, talking about outlawed. But, uh, anyways, yeah, we we kind of do some lazy ramblings here prior to the to the show. I posted a hooker meme; it triggered a lot of people. Oh, you know really? what? No one got as triggered as the Queen memes, though. I couldn't believe it. I had like three people actually say they were unfollowing me. Out of what all thing? the shit I posted, I just post one shit about the Queen. People freak the fuck out. Yeah, I know. It's pretty crazy, eh? It's unbelievable. Anyway, well, what do you got? Uh, I did bust you today, and I posted it on your Instagram. I finally was able no, to- No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. It had Last I checked, it had like what? over 100 no, likes, too. No, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just step on my toes with my picks, dude. There's got to be a, a rule around that. <laughs> I love that there's no rules. Around that, 
Around that, dude. I, I, you know, I don't like my pickle there. And then, oh my god, it's a great. <laughs> <laughs> it's me walking Zeus. It's a great pick. <laughs> it was funny because as I was coming on the road, I could see you like speeding up. <laughs> I, was well, I was trying to make sure that like you're like trying to shoo the cat in front of you to get out of sight. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't to get out of sight. It was just to so that I wasn't making you wait. Oh, I see. And I, and I wanted Zeus to be walking and not like me struggling, pulling him along by the neck. Like, <laughs> this is a great pick. Anyways, yeah, I walk Zeus sometimes. He's a he's a shoulder cat. He he. I go out for the walk sometimes. Halfway through, I just put him on my shoulder and we walk around like that. Hmm. I'd Pretty like cool to get a cat. picture of that too. But you I have neighbors some, that are. You like... haven't seen that. I put some selfies in the chat. I mean, I'm not a selfie guy, but I take selfies of Zeus on the shoulders. In the chats. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to talk to some people in the chats. I'm sure they've got access to them. I guarantee you. They're probably making memes. All right. What do you want to start with? Uh, how about a quote? A quote. Mm -hmm. Do you think I'll guess it? <laughs> My brain's know. like mush right now. So I don't probably know, not. But, I don't know, but I, it's going to be fun either way. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? It's the profound quote of the week. I'm so not looking forward to driving can your you car for a month. Wrote it down. Profound quote of the week. All right, you ready? I'm ready. As we move from rescue to recovery, therefore, we have a unique but rapidly shrinking window of opportunity to learn lessons and reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. It is an opportunity we have never had before and may never have again. We must use all the levers we can have at our disposal, knowing that each and every one of us has a vital role to play. Winston Churchill. No. No? It's more uh, contemporary than that. Um, I don't know. Your new king. What? It's your new king. I don't have a fucking king, motherfucker. No. 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 Do we have a king? No, we don't. No. What do you mean? Is he going to be king? What? Yeah, dude. Don't they just make him queen? His first full day. Listen, this is not going to work out. I tell you. People are okay having a queen. People are okay with that. Dude, I'm telling There's you. There's no way that woke fucking America or woke the, the woke West is going to tolerate having a king. This can't happen. <laughs> this can't happen. It's a white dude. It's an old white dude who's going to be the king. No way. There's no way. But we'll see how it pans out. He ain't my fucking king. Is he a pedo? Um, is he the one who doesn't sweat? Uh, no, that's his son, right? Isn't it? Or, or no, no, that's the know. queen's son. How how does that work again? No, I'm not too like sure, inbred? but I try not to pay attention to that. Weren't they cousins? No, that's the prince, that is guy. This is, uh, Prince Harry? This is the no, Prince of Wales, prince Andrew. right? The bigger guy, right? Yeah, you're talking about Prince Andrew. This is prince of, the Prince of Wales, right? With a super ugly um, wife? That looks like what? a demon? I don't, I, I don't know. Camellia? Camellia? He looks like a witch. Like uh, evil witch. Anyways, anyways, he that's him speaking on the Great Reset. So we're in for it, dude. Like if he's if he's got 
more than uh, ceremonial power. Uh, we're, it's it's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm looking for this. You're worried about here. the king. You're worried the king is going to fuck with your shit. Oh, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. Seems but. like you are. A little worried. I so, feel like we've been in for it for a while. <laughs> so the the proclamation has been read. God save the king. Right. So this is an email from uh, from Stephen, buddy in the UK. And he's like, he's he's been talking to me about the NASA Artemis rocket and how it What's keeps. What's a NASA? Getting... Oh God, you're back. You were just on. A, you were just saying it right, like a couple of weeks ago. NASA. There we NASA? go. Yes, yes. NASA. Yes. Um, and how you know it it keeps getting delayed. So he's trying to sort of numerologically or astrologically figure out like when are they going to let this Artemis rocket take off, right? Because you know it'll Where's be delayed, it going? and then it'll be to the moon with people. Aren't they putting uh, dummies on the moon to test this out? It's going around the moon or something. Dummies isn't, it? Like, isn't this the dummies like? Isn't this the test flight of robots? the moon rocket? They're putting I don't people know. on the moon. Dude, I don't know who is Elon. No, or NASA. No, no NASA for like a hundred times more expensive than Elon. Well, read the I've email. My, I've lost my reading glasses. Uh oh. So, anyways, so of course he's saying like the proclamation. Uh. Get this, on the harvest full moon, King Charles III was ascended to kingship, proclaimed just after noon. Now, when was that? So that was just on the 10th? Yes, dude. And then, so it his seems full like day, it was so much longer ago day. than that. Wasn't it Friday? Oh, but it was well, the 10th no, over is, there. Well, there's a, there has to be like um, Operation Unicorn has to come into effect before this happens. I'll explain all that. Okay, okay, go ahead. But I'm telling you, his first full day on the job is September 11th. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty... 21 years after, right? What, 21? Right? The king, his first full day on the job... I mean, I don't know, like... You know, officially, there's they change it from 10 days of mourning to 17 days of mourning. I guess there's a coronation afterwards or something. So, I don't know if, like, he's technically fully on the job. But they've said, God save the queen, and they've done the proclamation. So, the first September 11th is a fun day these days. The memes are out. It's like dude, a celebration. Oh, it's like this. Dude. It's like our conspiracy day celebration. It's I the closest know, thing we've got. The <laughs> I mean, what a coincidence! After a fucking harvest full there's moon. There's no way that's a coincidence, right? No chance. I mean, was she wasn't just after. all this time, and they're just waiting for the time to, like, to put this in place. This is what I feel like. You, oh, so you think this bitch been dead for a while? Yeah, and they wait till the time that the, the all the plant like. Literally, the planets to align astro astrologically, numerically, occultly. So then I got this email, this fantastic email from uh, it's it is uh, it's uh, from Matthew Eretz. Now it's not my per personal email to me. It's just Matthew's uh, Substack or or his uh, his newsletter. Matthew past guess Eret. No, he's never been. I can't get him. I can't get. Oh him no, him you've been trying to. Yeah, I've been trying. Yeah. Right. And he's like, can Britain break from feudalism or will King Charles Great Reset go unchallenged, right? I mean, this is this is what we're talking about. So he's talking about the new incoming King of England has taken on the worst traits and dispositions of oligarchism and probably won't willfully make any positive changes. London Bridge is down were the code words delivered by the Queen's private secretary, Edward Young. So this is the code word, right? Ab upon the death of Queen Elizabeth II. So it's like London Bridge is down. And then they go into 
um, other operations, Operation Unicorn and Operation Morning uh, Spring. What is it again? <laughs> it's so funny. Like, why do they have to name all these? Then they go into Operation Unicorn, London Bridge, and Spring Tide. I mean, come on. They're, they're naming these logistical plans as operations. Like, are they just trolling us now? Not us personally, but I mean, people? Always have been. I mean, look at the fucking moon measurements, bro. They've so been trolling us was, for fucking 150 was, years. This code was selected as a larger protocol dubbed, strangely enough, Operation Unicorn for reasons beyond the wildest imagination of this author and which sets into motion a set of actions culminating in the anointing of Prince Charles as the new King of Britain and the Commonwealth. So for Canadians, because Matt's a Canadian, um, for Canadians who thought they would no longer be forced to endure watching their prime minister slavishly declare his oath of fealty and oaths of secrecy to an inbred monarch sitting on the other side of the ocean, as has occurred in 2017, they will be very disappointed Canada's Parliamentary Oaths Act of 1866 demands that both houses of Parliament are required to take pledges of allegiance after the death of all sitting monarchs. That's right. Every single member of the supposedly elected and democratic government of Canada must declare their oaths of fealty not to the people or non-existent constitution, but to some inbred family bloodline on the other side of the world. An extra generation inbred now, too. It's more (laughs) inbred than it was before. Because I think the last queen fucked was married to her cousin, right? That's what I heard. I, yeah, I don't know. Similar oaths will be read by elected officials across every other commonwealth in the Five Eyes member states. So it is thus worth asking. I'm, I'm going to end up reading this whole thing. It's so good. But is this institution of hereditary powers with Charles that is that he's inherited just a ceremonial gig? Oh, that's what I. That's exactly what I called it. Wow with no real substance or influence behind it. So Prince Charles just became the world's largest property owner. So this may surprise you, but the British crown happens to be the world's largest property owner, cloaking in possessions amounting to 6.6 billion acres. Um, the crown is most so, of Canada. So you know how on top of the crown land, what's that? Including most of Canada. Yeah, and you know how on top of the crown lands and crown corporations, which are legally owned by the monarch of Britain, an organization called the Crown Estate is one of the largest property groups, describing the institution which sends 25% of its earnings directly into the monarch's purse every year. DeWelt Business had this to say, the Crown Estate owns property all across the UK from castles and cottages to agricultural land and forests plus retail parks and shopping centers. It owns more than half the UK's entire seashore, giving it hugely valuable auction rights for offshore commercial activities such as wind farms. And then he goes on to talk about Prince Charles and the Great Reset. And this is in the, this is from strategic-culture.org, and it's in the show notes uh, link. Um, and then he talks about... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's just so... It's so... Fill us in on the joke, Dunlop. On his official website, the prince launched the project saying, today through HRH's Sustainable Markets Initiative and the World Economic Forum, the Prince of Wales launched a new global initiative, the Great Reset. I mean, what? it's just in your face. Yeah, dude. It's right. They're just saying it right in in your face. Wow. What a finish. Eco-warrior? Eco-warrior king? (laughs) 
of a new crusade. I mean, so, oh man. So instead of like this being like a crusader king of a new religion, except instead of Muslims in the Holy Land, our new Davos connected eco crusaders have targeted carbon dioxide and the industrial civilization, farming and useless eaters who cause it to be the poisonous threat that must be destroyed. Charles appears to see himself walking in the footsteps of a WWF founding father who famously wished to be reincarnated as a virus to solve overpopulation as the new leading spokesman for a total transformation of society under a WEF green governance priesthood. So that's enough of that one. But then it gets into just just so I can finish off the thought of this Project Unicorn and stuff. So that is um, when the Queen's coffin. Now, let me just let me just go back a sec here. Operation Unicorn. What happens after the Queen's de- death in Scotland? So this is like to me, it's just like the logistics of Operation London Bridge. The formal plans drawn up to deal with the death of the head of state. So it's like provided for the eventuality that she would die at Balmoral, which has long been one of her favorite places. So Operation Unicorn, the code name for the plans in Scotland, leaked some time ago and indicated it is likely her coffin will temporarily rest at the Palace of Holyrood House, having been taken there by two roads after her death. So they've got plans on like how many roads to shut down, how to get the coffin over to sit at this Holyrood place. That then, then they would open it to the public. Open casket. Um, plans are also thought to include a ceremonial procession along the Royal Mile in Edinburgh to St. Giles Cathedral or St. Giles Cathedral, where a service is expected to be attended by the royal family before a 24-hour period of lying at rest, which they'll be switching the body to the for the the wax one which would be open to the public. The coffin is likely to be flown back to London, where it will be taken to Buckingham Palace before the big ceremonial procession in the capital planned for D plus five days. Did of you the see the meme day- where, where Prince Harry's like, I found out my grandma died in a meme. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all respect due to this, this, this to what this fucking away. lizard? I mean, really. No, but I mean we got to pay respects to whoever no. dies. I mean, I, no, no, I don't. Yeah. Not a lizard. I do. I, I do. I'm, what I'm, if it was Trudeau? Yeah, dude. I, I'm gonna have. I'm loving my heart what for all Klaus? these tier, all these totalitarian goons. Bill Gates. Yeah, everybody. We have to be loving. We have to be loving and compassionate. To everybody. I can be loving and compassionate if he's here, but I can still <laughs> laugh if he gets hit by a truck. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> <laughs> Can I? Well, I'm gonna. I think it's fine. So then I'll just move on quickly to uh, Operation Spring Tide. <laughs> it's all connected. Uh, uh, so Operation Spring Tide is the plan for the Prince of Wales' ascension to the throne, starting the day after the Queen's death when he will be proclaimed the new king by the Ascension Council at St. James's Palace. So they need an operation name for this. I mean, come on. That evening, I... <sighs> That evening's MPs will swear allegiance to the new monarch, followed by the proclamations by the Scottish, Welsh, and Northern Irish administrations the day after. On the third day, the new monarch is expected to receive the motion of condolence at Westminster Hall in the morning and then depart for a tour of the United Kingdom, attending services in Edinburgh, Belfast, and Cardiff before returning to London. Fun. Sounds like a week of festivities. 
it's 10 days of mourning, dude. It's not festivity. 10 they days get of off, mourning. Do they get off Actually, work? They, somebody said they changed it to 17 days. Do they get off work? I that they might. Do you get paid for that? They, they might. I don't the know. The queen pays you for a couple weeks off? I mean, this is all right. I have to go to work still, unfortunately. All the flagpoles are at half mast. Oh, uh, in Calgary? Yeah. Wow. It's pretty pathetic. All right. So support the show. Gramerica.ca slash support. If you're getting some value from a little podcast here, I think this is episode 565 or something like that. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. All for free. All in the back catalog. We don't charge you for any of it. No paywalls. No nothing. Gramerica.ca slash support. If we're adding some value to your workday, to your commute, to your wherever you're listening. Give us a buck. Give us two bucks. Give us ten bucks. You can make a one-time donation. Whatever you want to do. Uh, you can head over to grandamerica.ca slash chats if you want to join our little chat room. Uh, what else we got? Audiobooks over at adultbrain.ca, which are always pretty fun to listen to. And we got our tours. I mean, if you want to get in last minute, Graham's leaving in just a couple of days here to head down to Washington uh, for two weeks. Two weeks of touring around with Randall Carlson and Ben from Uncharted X and the Snake Bros and Brad. He's going to have a time down there. Of course, Brandon Powell will be there for week one. Dave Matheson for week two. My uh, contemplated visit is uh, not going to happen. It's just too much traveling this fall. we got to go down for our D.B. Cooper thing next month. I don't know if we told you guys. Oh, shoot. What else supposed to talk don't, about that? Dude, fuck. It's a secret. You can't fucking say anything about what? that. That is just. Was it supposed to be top secret? I don't, we haven't said anything yet, have we? I, I think, think we should so. just keep it quiet. All right, we're going to keep it quiet. Forget I said anything. Well, because we don't even know how we're going to do it. Like, we're going, we don't know how this we're going on a down. secret mission to the USA. <laughs> we can't talk about it. But anyway, and we got Egypt coming up, and it's just too much. I mean, I got a full-time job. I got kids. It's hunting season. So I'm going to postpone, and I was only going to go down there for like the last day of the first group and the first day of the... Second group, so I really wasn't going to see much of everyone anyway. So I decided I'm going to say, not going to bother. And I'm going to go down. I'll commit to going down for the whole time in May. Because next year we don't have Egypt, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a yeah. whole like three weeks or two and a yeah. half weeks. So yeah. I'll commit to go down to the whole May trip next year and uh, make up for missing this one. I like May down there better anyway. The weather's a little better. Everything's nice and green. Mind you, the weather's looking good for you guys, too. So contact at thecabin.com if you want to get in on that. There's a Shasta trip coming up in February that's going to be fantastic. I actually talked to our buddy Kevin from Unpaved today. He's finally back in the USA and uh, releasing episodes. So he's going to stop by Shasta on the way down, scope it out a little bit for us. And then we have uh, the deposits are starting to come in pretty quick for that Utah 420 bash down in Bryce Canyon, Zion Canyon with Dave Matheson, Brandon Powell. Uh, so people want to get in on that. It's all over there. Contact at thecabin.com. All right. What do you got? Synchro, you said? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. All yeah. right. Here we go. Let's go with this one. I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. So this is Synchro for Graham, Memes for Darren.
Did you send me uh, the memes? No, I'm going to read them to you now. You're going to read them to me? Yeah. What? Okay, I'll, I'll send them to you now. Okay. Yeah. You can't read me a meme, bro. It's not going to have the same all, punch. Well, well, it's just one of them is just a quote, really. Well, that's not a meme. It's a quote. You do the synchro, and then I'll look at the memes in real time while I'm on the show. Okay. Are they dank? Uh, no, not as dank as you would like. They're they're probably they're probably they're probably acceptable on the Grimerica show. So. Ooh. Yeah. Well, everything was acceptable on Grimerica show for a while. <laughs> I've lost uh, I've lost it. I gotta pull it up up now. Something's happened. All right. Great. Well, why don't you? Oh, you lost the whole thing. Yeah, I sent the memes to you though, but I just now I have to refine them. All right, we'll do the memes first. I got it. I got it. Oh, he's got it. Okay, so this is from Sanford. Thanks, Sanford. The morning I searched for Michael Millerman on Podbean, Outlaw showed up on the search result before Podbean had updated my playlist that would have shown your new episode. I started thinking about the Red Jordan meme, then had finished. Just in time for Billboard Chris. So you'll have to look at that Red Jordan meme to get this. Okay. I didn't know what that was. I'm looking at the Red Jordan meme. I think it's, is it Red Jordan Peterson? Yes, I guess that's what it means. I, I'd never heard of it before. It's hard to read. This is a this is not. It's not. A it's not a good meme. font. It's no, not. I, that's one is, of my pet okay. peeves when somebody makes a meme. If you're gonna make a, a meme. Font that's you know. Make it, Make it legible font. So yeah. I see, I think it's a version of Jordan Peterson, but it's so sloppy, I can't even really tell. Um, it looks like there's some pride flags with some, maybe some tranny stuff going up in the top corners on each side. And it says, if I were a malevolent psychopath and you were my enemy, I would poison the minds of your innocent children with treacherous lies and anti-truth. Mutilate their small bodies beyond recognition with affirming surgery and chemically sterilize them thus removing your useless seed from the earth forever i don't think that's jordan peterson you don't think he said that no and it's spelt different too what's spelt different well, jordan? J- well red jordan this is j-o-r-d-e-n and jordan oh. peterson is j-o-r-d-a-n hmm. and he spelt it that way two times well, then maybe it's just a meme about Jordan that's not quite from a quote from Jordan. We need clarification, Sanford. But either way, no, no, it's not Sanford's job to do that. It's it's like still part of this synchronicity that I'm that I'm okay. starting to understand okay. what it is. It's like so I'm more he's confused tried, than ever. He's, so he searched for Millerman. He's an outlawed subscriber. He searched for Millerman on Podbean. And Outlaw showed up before his Podbean even updated with Millerman. And then he started thinking about the Red Jordan meme, and guess what? Just when he finished, Billboard Chris popped out. That was our last episode from Outlawed. So that's a pretty good syn- compound synchro. I don't even understand how that's a synchro in any way. Really? I'm, 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 I mean, I, I guess there's a the little Red glitch. Red Jordan in- meme is connected with Billboard Chris, and the, and the Millerman, he was just thinking about Millerman, and it came Ooh, up on Outlawed. this is so subjective. Well, that's what synchronicities are, dude. No, some of them aren't. The ones that get nines and tens are not okay, subjective. Okay, let me finish reading the email, because that might influence your opinion a bit. And he's a subscriber. He's a supporter. Okay, well, that adds point four two. Darren wondered if high IQ helped us see this shit coming. 
There are high IQ chattel in the drift, to borrow a phrase from Darren. I think even Peterson took the jab, not for lack of smarts, though. Raw IQ draws towards the Luciferian intellect. If everyone around you is stupid, isn't it our obligation to manipulate and direct a profane unwashed? If I were to be hyper-rational and lean into my lizard brain, I would think a new mandatory jab coming this fall. Fucking fantastic. All my political enemies line up for another kick of the can, and then the rest of the weak, stupid motherfuckers will just join the line to the abattoir. We just need to wait them out. The Luciferians in charge are going to clear the field for us, Then the only ones left standing are the anti-vax and the above the vax. A clearer target there has ever has never been. Don't give in, Darren. Don't let them harvest your loosh. Give in to what? Spiritual overflow. Give in to what? Getting the shot? (laughs) I don't... Like, that's gonna fucking happen. Fucking love you guys. Any hope in Danielle Smith's potential to get us out of this shit politically? Oh, I don't know about that. But I gotta say this. These are terrible memes. I'm sorry. I have a juicy hog for you this fall as my value for value, but Greg needs to kill and dress it. No, no, I'll do that. Bring your camper. It will be fine. I'll do that. I can do it. Graham can't do it. Can you do well, it? Well, a hog? No. I mean, I'd have to learn how. I'll help you. I can eat the bacon. Well, he wants you to kill it. No, 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 no. He said, no, he said, oh, he did say that. Yeah, no, I'm not going to kill it. Ugh. Can I? Yeah, dude. Let's get clarification. Because it's fall. We could go do that soon. I could use some pork. I am in. Or I can coach grandma to do it. You could just shoot it from a little ways away. No, no, no. I don't I don't want to kill it. I don't want to kill it. I'll just I'll just pretend to die naturally. What about with your bow? <laughs> what? <laughs> you shouldn't eat things that die naturally. What? You should not eat things that die naturally. Really? Yeah, if you like had chickens and you find one dead in your backyard, do not well, eat it. Because it's dying from old age? I don't know what it's dying from, but you don't eat things you find dead. Oh, uh, really? Yes. Has that always been the thing? Yes, 100%. What if it was hit by a car? No. What? You have to get the guts out of that thing within an hour, dude. Otherwise, it taints well, everything. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, I some of these mean. fucking dudes I know that hunt deer, they like... They'll make the shot, and then they won't bother to go look for the thing till the next day. That wow. fucking grosses me out. And people wonder why their meat's gamey. Oh, my God. My meat ain't gamey. Plus, the thing's going to suffer. You got to at least try and put it out of its misery as soon as possible if you wound it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, so do you have, you know, do you, can you comment on the Daniel Smith thing? I mean, I, oh, I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope she wins. I'm not like voting or okay. investing or anything like that. You know, you're not holding out any hope. You're not on the hopium for this thing. I just don't care anymore. Fuck it. I'm, did you see? Did you see somebody? Whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. Was it Gad Sad or somebody posted the 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 political spectrum of the conservative race in Canada? Seems no, like a very I'm not paying movement. attention to any of that stuff. I could yeah. give a fuck less. I'll be fine either way. I'm more interested in this pig. Let's make this pig happen. I'm sorry I called your memes bad, but uh, I like something a little danker and a little funnier, and I don't even understand really the last two. Well, the public health one you understand, don't you? I do understand that one. Hydroxychloroquine is very dangerous, and you may lose your license if prescribed. 
fentanyl and heroin are dangerous because they are illegal and you should be and they should be subscribed prescribed. But as a meme. Well, it's got a, it's got I Tam get, and, and yeah, this other this other health minister there talking. Come on. Know. I like to have like an emotional reaction when I see a good meme. I'm just like, I mean, some of them I can't even stop laughing to myself while I'm posting them. <laughs> it's like the best part of my day. I love it. All right. Should we get out of here? I'm super Let's tired. All right. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the, our lazy ramblings. I forget who the interview's with. Michael Michaelides. Michael Michaelides. In Michael, my defense, Michael, I was not part Michael of the interview. Michael Oh my God. <laughs> All right, guys. Enjoy the chat. I should do a quick, uh, I should oh, do a the quick bio. bio forgot. You did find it. I found it. Yeah. Um, so he made this, this recent um, series called ancient Greece revisited, but then uh, similar to how outlawed started, which is our whole other podcast that we talked about in that uh, synchro there. So it's a whole other feed. You can go to Grand America outlawed and get a whole other feed That's um, or search Grand America outlawed. Um, he made on tyranny podcast. So he's got that. And he was born in Athens after completing his national service. And he began traveling in Europe, um, taught himself computer programming, uh, software engineer. And this is all from actually, I found it on Graham Hancock's website. So he excelled in the style of Latin. Um, <clears throat> sorry, a style that seems strangely appropriate for his country of Greece. And uh, this journey of rediscovering arts of his native culture led him back to the ancient poets and thinkers that he was taught in school. And during a time when the West seemed to undergo a great crisis of culture. So these disparate strings would combine in ancient Greece revisited. And that's a project rendering the ancient culture of Greece, not in the terms that British classists used in order to claim it, but in those that Greeks themselves could recognize as their own. There you go. There you go, guys. Enjoy the chat with Michael Michelades. Michael Malkalides, uh, welcome to Grime America. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. I think Thank I pronounced. Me. I think I pronounced your name wrong. Michael Michaelides. 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 Usually yeah. pronounced. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I'm not. I'm not particular. I'm not one to make a fuss. Yeah, that's okay. No problem. Hey, how how uh, how's things going? I've been listening to your on tyranny a little bit. Your ancient Greece revisited. I'm looking forward to. Chatting about yeah, thanks a lot, man. Um, I really appreciate this interview. You know, we're trying to do whatever we can to reach like a larger audience and uh, 
uh, who have been growing steadily, but not perhaps as exponentially. So yeah, I appreciate this opportunity. And yeah, it's it's been going well, you know. Um, I started my main show, uh, Ancient Greece Revisited, about, uh, well, it's going to be three years on the nose uh, this uh, uh, in one month, and uh, time flies. And I met, you know, my uh, director, producer, uh, all things visual, editor, uh, Adamantios, and uh, we've been doing this show ever since. And as of, you know, as of COVID, really, um, I decided to do a spin-off uh, that I called On Tyranny, uh, following a book by Xenophon, uh, by the same name, obviously. And I, yeah, I've been trying to invite, like you, you know, interesting people, people who had something to say, people who shed, who could shed some light, because it seemed to me that, um, you know, besides the usual rants that we can go on about mainstream media, uh, it's really a matter of kind of filling in the gap. In other words, you know, if tomorrow uh, some 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 benevolent dictator cancelled all the the mainstream media this time. You know, um, I think there would be a gap left there, and it's good to kind of try to bridge that gap, fill in before anything happens. Because I think people are sometimes afraid to let a narrative go before they have another. Uh, you know, we all monkey branch when it comes to to beliefs and ideology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even even us. I mean, I try to make, stay out of that group think. Um, even ourselves. I mean, I read this book. We just narrated a book called The Behavior of Crowds by uh, Everett Dean Martin uh, from mm -hmm. the early 1900s. And it was very much like, you know, the crowd, your, your crowd, crowd as in like group think, you know, when they say crowd. And he meant he yeah. was saying like crowd like you, you, you know, the crowd that's ruling ends up disintegrating and the new crowd that comes in it just it just ends up being the same thing usually it's just as worse so mm -hmm. and then i started thinking well geez we're, we're stuck in this crowd crowd think as well in a way so how do we you know how do we not get into that crowd thing because even though we don't have a lot of a lot of people physically with us there's there is now an, an internet crowd so like you said, yeah, there's that yeah, gap sure. there, right? How do we fill that gap? Like, even if we get somebody to to d dismantle the, the tyranny that's going on, like, how do we fill that gap? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a another book um, by, who was it? One of the members of the, of the Frankfurt School, the psychoanalyst, um, a fear of fear of freedom. And uh, it, it, yeah, it details how a lot of people are afraid of their own freedom. And I think that is true. I think that's an underestimated yeah. factor in, in all that, you know, uh, Eric from Eric. From oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll make a note guy. of that. Yeah. And, and the yeah, thing is, yeah. and, and we had, I mean, I've been sort of going through stages of awakening on sort of on both sides. We had some guys on that were saying like, well, maybe they feel free. The people that want all this mandates, like there is, that could be their freedom. I mean, maybe they're there. They have a fear of the freedom that we want, but to mm -hmm. them, they just want to be told what to do. And that is free for them. Perhaps I don't feel the same way. You no, know, I, I think because I've, I've met a lot of people that were very pro mandates uh, who have suffered from them. Yeah. Um, from the enclosure, from from uh, yeah, and they've changed and they changed their up. mind. 
Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't think that anyone has changed their mind from suffering that, if anything, I think they become more adamant. I do have a very close friend who, who did change his mind to his credit. You know, it's a credit to his intelligence that he does change his mind and he'll always, always, always come back to me and say, you know, you're right or you're wrong, yeah, depending yeah. on the circumstance. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because when this whole pandemic started, that you know, I consider him a, he has this like raw intelligence. He hasn't uh, he hasn't gone through university or he hasn't have a a uh, you know kind of intellectual context to back this intelligence. Uh, but he has this raw kind of penetrating intelligence, and I thought he'd be on well, my side, our yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and he wasn't in the beginning at all. He was like, nope, nothing to see here. I said, are you, are are you sure? He said, nope. All good, all good. It's good. Government is trying to do, you know, what it can. Uh, they don't know. They don't have enough data. So better safe than sorry. So it's like seriously, like a part of me almost died there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Little by little, you know, month by month, he kind of turned around, and then and and then you know he he went on. Uh, it's become almost a prepper. He was like trying to get a little hut somewhere. He lives in Canada, uh, in the country yard, you know, to, to, to see if he can survive on his own with his family outside of, you know, he went to the other extreme. So, yeah, yeah, that's so, what happens. So to yeah. speak, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is a rare case. He is yeah. a rare case. Uh, most of the people I know, uh, it's almost like, the marbles were sorted at the very beginning. People who got it, got it. The rest just didn't. Yeah. And they mostly remained perhaps. A yeah, yeah, two, yeah. Switched sides. Yeah, I agree. And then even if people open up to it, it doesn't mean they're all the way over on the other side. They just know they just they still might not know what to do, but they know something's wrong with the picture, you know, and that, that's it. Your, your story is very similar to ours, how we we were we've been doing podcasting for nine years on all kinds of conspiracies and different show different topics and and of course when this happened it was hard not to just talk about it all the time you know this there's this big mm -hmm. thing happening right here but people wanted our other show as a distraction as well so it was always this discussion of how much do we address this so we started up uh we changed another feed that we had which was kind of like a a subscriber feed called black budget to uh to grimerica outlawed so we could sort of hit this a little harder with 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 people that are sort of um I want to discuss the the tier the tyrannical it was really just because of the tyrannical aspect of the whole thing yeah yeah exactly and the the strangest thing about this whole situation is that for for me not not to use the plural um it was very obvious i, I, I didn't blink an eye from the very beginning i kind of saw there was something wrong uh, but for the majority of people it was all good and that, that's what got me in the beginning, because for me, it wasn't a thing that I figured out in my own head. It was something that I saw just like I could see you through the screen right yeah. now. You know, so how do how do you argue with someone who can't see it? So yeah. I was a little numb in the beginning. I was, uh, are you sure? It's it, literally the elephant in the room, the expression yeah. elephant in the room yeah. fits perfectly this yeah. picture because it's an elephant i can see it yeah no one else could see it yet they still stumble upon it yeah so are you sure there's no elephant yeah no problem <laughs> well you must have been primed like what because it seems to me like you were already sort of revisiting a narrative ancient greece revisited whitewashed 
So mm -hmm. like what, why did you need to revisit Greece and why would you, why do you think it, it's been whitewashed? Cause that, that seems like to me a bit of a primer for you being sort of set up to see the elephant right away. Yeah. Well, if, I think I have a knack as they say for, for this, but before, before we draw any connections between the two and there must be, but, uh, just on the primary show, Ancient Greece Revisited. It's partly a personal thing. Um, I understand that most people in this world don't know a lot about Greeks, like modern Greeks. They don't care. Why, why, why should they? But since you're talking with one, you know, here's the deal. You know, Greek identity has been uh, manufactured to some extent. Uh, you can say that about many identities. Uh, definitely this part of our culture that are purely organic like our language you know i had a discussion yesterday someone was asking me whether i read ancient greek or not i can read ancient greek and my answer was how ancient because the reality yeah because the reality of the matter is that i can read the gospels the new testament with some difficulty but i can read it uh, minus a word or two. Maybe it has a word that's specific for some, you know, specific flask they used back then. And, okay. But more or less, I can read it. Like talking about, we had an episode about the hermetic texts. You yeah, know, yeah. Which are sort of mystical yeah. texts. Yeah, I like I that can, episode, I read yeah. that in the, I read that in the original, uh, you know, with the help of some translation. Okay, that's about 2,000 years ago. Um I haven't had any special training. We had some training in ancient Greek, but that's mostly gone. Just using my intuition, a bit of guesswork, and just my nat native Greek. I could mo mostly, mostly, I won't say like I read like a newspaper, I could mostly read. You go back a couple of generations before you go to Aristotle, becomes difficult. You can read sentences for sure. You can, if you're lucky, perhaps a paragraph. Um, but you don't read the, the book in ancient Greek. You'd be lost very, very quickly. Uh, but you go before to Plato, even more be difficult. You go to Homer, Iliad, pretty much incomprehensible. Words, sure. You can understand the words word by word. Phrases, perhaps, yes. Sentences, again, if you're lucky, yeah, there's a sentence. Some translators will leave some sentences or in the original and have them like italicized, you know, just as a message to the reader that, hey, you can read this, you know. And that's pretty good going. Someone with no training in ancient Greek, reading a whole sentence of ancient Greek, really ancient Homer time. That's good. So the language evolved is what I'm saying. You know, you take English, for instance, and most people can read up to the 14th century, someone like Chaucer. Uh, you try to read Beowulf in the original, and it sounds like German. Like people might have seen Beowulf, like 3D film uh, with Angelina Jolie playing the, the monster's mother. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of scenes where Grendel, the monster, goes back to his mother and wounded, and he talks about, you know, what happened to him with his mother in this strange Germanic-sounding language. That's old English. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. that's from the original, actually. Uh, from the original poem, and it's Salin. You can pick up, I still remember some word. It says, man, can, man, and the translation was man cuts, man hurts, man, because he was hurt. Uh, so so that, that's as far as you go. That's 8th century AD. 
well, and it's incomprehensible. Well, it's even harder you know? hard enough to read like some 16th century stuff because it's got the F's instead of the S's and the J's are all like when when they added yeah. those few letters. I mean, it's even hard to I was just reading part of um, some Manly P. Hall work yesterday and, and they have, you know, all these uh, templates of, of with the F's in there. And it's really and I have a hard time imagining how they. How did they pronounce all that back then? Was everything F instead of S? I mean, it just seems like we're really not. Uh, we don't really know yeah, what was yeah. going on back then. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's what I'm saying. English is an organic language, so a lot of Greeks get intimidated because they can't reach Homer from the original. But that's fine, you know. Like very few languages can. Um, Hebrew can because it's mostly been recreated out of the ancient texts. Um, the, the Greek grew organic. So this part of our culture that are purely organic and linked back to the past as they should, not yeah. directly, yeah. in steps, right? Um, and there's, there's, other, there's our religion, it's pretty ancient, it's Christian, it's called Orthodox Christianity, you know, and that's an ancient religion in my book. Again, it links back. You can visit monasteries that are a thousand years old uh, in your neighborhood sometimes. So if, if you're lucky. Um, but there are other parts that have been disrupted because, you know, we had a uh, we had 400 years of conquest from the Ottoman Turks. And that was a history that really cut the line of descent for many people. Like wow. remember, like Constantinople, uh, modern day Istanbul yeah. fell in the middle of the 15th century. OK. Um, and And. Up until that, like literally outside my window right now, where I live, there's this, there's a statue of the last emperor, you know, who's Constantine Paleologos, and he considered himself an emperor of the Romans. Okay, he was the emperor of the Romans, as in the ancient Romans. The, the, that was the Roman Empire, um, the Byzantine, what we call the Byzantine Empire, was a direct continuation of the Roman Empire. Um, you know, that's a link that goes back to the Romans and then to the ancients almost directly. You know, there were books that were handed hand by hand by hand from Plato to some person living in Constantinople. And that, that's how ancient. That was disrupted, that it was cut uh, violently by that, that conquest. And that seems to get glossed over a lot. Is that what you're, is that kind of it, one of your things? It get, it's look, sort of it just lost get, in the weeds in a way? Or? It gets, gets glossed over in many ways. The most direct way, the strangest way, is with this whole craze of political correctness. Yeah. Okay. We Greeks have suffered like oh, the worst, we've been categorized in the worst bucket in that whole spectrum. Because it seems that in that spectrum, you're either a conqueror or a conquested. If you're a conqueror, you're bad and you just should be just ashamed of your culture. If you're conquested, you should, just should be written checks. And it, I'm obviously paraphrasing an apology. Yeah, yeah, but yet they're, con but they're conquering yeah. too, right? This is what I don't understand. That's the thing. The so Greeks, for, here's the thing. And I rarely use that term, but Greeks are treated... Uh, racially and in a racist way. Why? They look at us, you look at me, I look white. Okay, I could be, I'm a little tanned because of the summer, but I could be Italian, could be French, you know, could be Polish, yeah, it yeah. could be yeah. uh, German. 
um, couldn't be a Swede, Norwegian, but I could be from many places. We look white, most of us, okay? But our history is not white. Our history is not one of a conquered people that suffered everything that a conquered people suffered. Our 400 years, you know, are relative to the 400 years of black slavery. They're, they're, they're synchronous. Obviously, we were not taken away from our homes. Obviously, we were not tortured in that sense. Obviously, we retained our language, like I said before, our religion to a certain degree. But a lot of our culture was disrupted. And we now suffer the same cultural amnesia that I hear. I don't know what the Black experience in the United States is, but I hear that part of it is this cultural amnesia, where they come from, who they are. That's why I hear, again, I have to be specific, that a lot of some some black Americans, they like to take African names, you know, because they say John is my slave name. You know, I'm, you know, Zola, I'm, 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 I'm someone else. Um, so Greeks have this culture amnesia, unfortunately. You know, we had a revolution that restored our independence to some to some degree, at least. And when was that, when 18, was that again? 18... Eight, 1821. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So at the birth of nations in Europe. But the point is that in 1821, you could take a shepherd who was raising his cattle on the Parthenon. There's pictures, one of the most valuable monuments. And it was, you know, surrounded by moss and, 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 and just shepherds would raise their cattle there because it's a hill. Uh, and you could ask him, you know, do you know what this is? And he probably couldn't tell you. Perhaps he knew that some older Greeks built it and perhaps he would know it's important. Uh, he couldn't tell you much more. So there's, you know, your cultural amnesia. So when I hear people talking about Islamophobia, for instance, what it relates to Greeks, I'm like... You, you you shouldn't be able to say that if you knew the history of how we were conquered by Islam. But I can't really argue back because we live in this culture that's, you know, black, white, metaphorically speaking, pun intended. You know, it's you 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 look white, you're a conqueror. You know, automatically bundle uh, bundle us. So we get slapped by both sides of the left let's say if you can map this argument left right well you, you have to yeah it has to be cheeks. mapped somehow yeah 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 so 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 basically to go back to your question we have all these confusion about who we are what we are how do we fit and then you know after 1821 because we had this culture of amnesia we were fed an image of ancient greeks that was processed and recreated in England and France. Wow. Right. So the English and the French chose a way of seeing ancient Greeks that fit their own narrative. Wow, you that's know, interesting. Yeah. They were they were conquering the world through steam engines and machinery, you know. So they saw what they wanted in ancient Greece. They saw logic, they saw the reason of Aristotle, they missed the imagination of Plato. Or the rituals of Dionysus, you know, or, or the, meta the metaphysical aspect, of the metaphysical, it. yeah, yeah, because the metaphysical was something that they projected to the natives that they saw, you know, yes, and they they did not want their Greeks to dance around naked, naked around the fire, painted with a 
sacrificial blood of animals like those natives. They wanted their Greeks to be clean, white as they were, clean, dressed in white togas, under white white, uh, marble uh, statues and temples. So that is the whitewashing that I'm talking about. Oh, that's a good example. It's it's not a racial term. It's just like the images were white, whitened. So the mind of the Greeks was whitened. And what they saw a little mystical, they disregarded. What they saw is very clear, rational, talking about democracy, morals, stoicism, that they kept, you know. So we are trying to reconnect with this other part that was lost and is more organic to us, you know? That's, that's, yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it's who gets to decide who was more oppressed and who was less oppressed. I mean, this is what's so frustrating about going back and trying to Mm -hmm. kind of get reparations. I mean, in the, in the, in the part of the colonial expansion was, you know, in Canada here, we had the residential schools and the, and the, uh, you know, the government, had there's documents from the government that basically are saying we want to get rid of the Indian out of we want to take the Indian out of the kids, right? We want to take the spirituality, get rid of it, get rid of their culture completely. And yet, you know, and yet there's this new racism, all this racism pushback now. But what 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 was that compared to what happened to the to the native culture here, right? And and um and what it seems to me like it just gets thrown into this colonial bucket colonialization bucket instead of it being a class war it seems like now it's a class war but they don't want to call it a class war yeah yeah and yeah it kind of is you know uh there's an an interesting concept there once since you mentioned it called uh, the the revolt of the elites um it was a book uh not not Perhaps the most, not to me, not the most interesting one, but um, see, it's a wordplay, the title, uh, just to link it to various things that you've said. You talked about mass culture and, you know, mass man. So there was a book in the early um, 20th century called The Revolt of the Masses by Ortega y Gasset. That book I recommend to you and all your readers. If you place it in the context of the times, you're going to enjoy it greatly and you're going to think a lot of it. And it's a yeah, short yeah. book. It was a series of articles that he wrote in the newspapers. And what he was saying is that, you know, now he saw the rise of mass culture, you know. And I remember he even presented this in a very interesting image that has since stuck. He said, if you go around the world, around Europe now, and now was somewhere in the 1920s, you, you see things are full of people, he said. Museums, hotels, they're full of people, he said. When I was growing up, he says, about 20 years before, you wouldn't see that, although the population statistically was the same. So mass culture is independent of numbers. It's, 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 it's where the, the individual finds his home within a mass rather than within a social group, a neighborhood, a religion, a, a, a social class. Um, so that was a very real phenomenon. But since then, a hundred years later, things have changed. And this other author that I forget his name wrote this book, The Revolution of the El- Revolt of the Elites, as a pun to this first book. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. What he says is that, you know, you have to understand society by its elites. And our elites, he wrote it in the 90s, which was very prescient of him, uh, have become an international class. 
of yeah. you know jet, literally jet setters like people who yeah. travel by jet they go to some ivy league universities they're all interconnected probably intermarry and they don't have roots in any specific culture so they can talk all these social justice jargon because they're not affected by it they don't live in a neighborhood where you have to understand cultural differences for what they are right and 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 find solutions between the races and the classes rather than try to level them you know they live in bubbles where it doesn't matter if you like i've met i lived in london england for a long time and you know i've met like native indians or pakistani who were like second or third generation and they spoke with an accent and they had and i, I met some that were english 100 you know they didn't even connect which is sometimes funny because they looked the part but they didn't connect to that culture and the jet setters they're the second kind you know the people doesn't matter if they're indian or if they're greek or if they, they are of this social class so it makes sense to them and i think that a lot of the agenda that you see unfolding some of it at least must come from heavy quotes here honestly from someone like zuckerberg i think a part of him truly believes that whoever speaks against mass migration is truly a racist i'm sure i'm not sure i think i think that part of it is is his honest opinion but that is only if that is true that is only because he has grown up in a bubble where he can afford these opinions you know what is tragic is that opinions are set by the few people who can afford their wreckage well well or everyone else has to suffer with their results yeah do you think do you think a lot of this is was um i've been thinking lately have a little bit more sympathy for these elites in the early 1900s just the time when you were talking about this because there was a legit fear of another world war i mean after the great war i think that mm. i think there's a lot of a lot of these like hg wells kind of guys that think like how are we going to bring the world together and still maintain sovereignty of some sort you know like it seemed to me like that was that was a legitimate desire for them to to have free speech to have freedom of debate uh, but to have us all connected in a socialist way like it was almost a mix of socialism and freedom but there was also you know of course it was also the secret societies that did want to get rid of the church and state and take over the world mm. but i guess there's all these different factions but i'm sort of becoming more sympathetic in a way to their like you said zuckerberg believes that these guys believe that they're in this bubble that where they believe that the best thing to do is to do to bring the world together you know yeah 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 because they can afford it. the only you know i i hear what you say and perhaps you know we could have a little research and come back to that point and see where uh like you said in the early 20th centuries i wouldn't know about the let's say globalist then although i know there was a very strong isolationist tendency in the united states um but after the second world war you know all these efforts had a heavy component of social engineering that was very much out in the open like like you think of the united nations you know yeah, i grew up thinking of the point. united the united nations as as 
a benevolent organization, benevolent, if not powerless organization. But if you just read its declaration, it's first written by Julian Huxley, by the way. It's a very interesting kind of synchronicity. Aldous Huxley writes Brave New World that predicts its futuristic techno dystopia slash utopia because people understand it differently i found some people think it's a utopia some people think it's a utopia they haven't really yeah they haven't really realized but um his brother julian huxley who was a politician um was a founding member of the united nations and it's almost like i don't know how conscious that is uh how many dinner parties they attended together and listened to each other's ideas but if, you know, the proof is in the pudding, I invite people with 70 pages to read it. And there's a lot of this brave new world thinking inside an actual organization that affected the world. There's the idea that, yeah, like you said, socialism or dialectical materialism, how was the official name, um, is kind of the correct uh, philosophy for the new world. And it's just biology that uh, stops it from being implemented. You know, the natural, I don't know how they phrased it, greed or envy of people. So they have to be corrected somehow. So there was a, even a eugenics aspect right there in the United Nations, you know. So were these organizations corrupted? I don't know, but it seems that whatever corruption I see was very early on, so early that it wasn't even corruption. It was built in the system. Right, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So is there any other examples of, of sort of uh, the difference between, you know, maybe the, the different ancient Greece and, and the modern version of it? I mean, I think you brought up some really good examples of, of, mm -hmm. uh, of you know, what happened to Greece for 400 years there and, and how political correctness now doesn't even allow this debate. I mean, I was going to have we were going to have somebody on who's doing uh, research on Viking DNA. I think he got canceled uh, trying to come do it as uh, I don't know if it yeah. was his, his paper or if it was just uh, trying to publish his research and they wouldn't allow it because it doesn't fit this, this new narrative. Right. I mean, you can't look at white DNA anymore. You know, it's, it's uh, very strange. Yeah. Yeah. That's another strange thing when it comes to the so-called Indo-Europeans, you know, which is a theory that has been heavily criticized for being not politically correct. You know, the idea that uh, white Europeans had a had a historical homeland, like all people. Um, it shouldn't raise anyone's eyebrow, but it does. Um, and it's funny if you read. There are a few books on the Indo-Europeans that are uh, that are still, you know, unbiased. But most of them, you'll notice that they try to underplay this idea of an Indo-European invasion which was current perhaps 50 years ago. Now they say it was an invasion. It was more like a slow migration, which is probably true. I don't expect a line of horsemen being uh, awaiting the signal to invade Europe, you know, 3,000 years ago. Um, but uh, uh, this was just the case anyway, and they just don't like the invasion, you know, migration because of poverty, because of starvation, these people eating rats from the ground. They want to downplay them by adjectives and by linguistics. Yet, when it comes to other cultures, which were of the same type, like the Mongols or the Huns, oh, they are the historians 
run wild of this dynamic, you know, virile group of horsemen, unstoppable, terrifying force, the scythe of God. And it's the same cultural type. It's the horse riding warrior gnomon, pastoral, you know, worships the great sky as the supreme God, a masculine God at that, right? He worships the masculine virtues, the Greek word for bravery. It's still Andrea, which comes from Andras, man. It's translated manliness, you know. So I am for the uh, accurate translations. When Socrates talks of courage, remember that this is most probably translated as manliness, should have been and understood. There are schools of thought in the States translated accurately that will say manliness because that's the actual word you know and all these things are being underplayed while when they find equivalence in the east it's fine it's only when it's in europe that you shouldn't identify with this horse riding word you know so just to top what you said yeah yeah I mean, I, I love you. You got into quite a bit of uh, the hero's journey in some of your videos. Um, and I, and I, I want to know what you think about my, I'm sort of building this kind of theory in my, in my own sort of mind about how they're disintegrating the, the hero's journey. This, this, this sort of archetypal good versus evil, you know, the hero that's going to save the world from this inherent evil. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It, in movies nowadays are completely, you know, that, that whole sort of archetype seems to be gone. It's like the, the, uh, the thieves are heroes in the movies. The villains are the heroes now, you know, they, you can't mm. even really pick out the good and evil now. It's like the, you know, they're, they're making the villains heroes, even in like gaming and role-playing games, dungeons mm. and dragons and stuff, right. They're taking away the inherent evil of these monsters. It used to be mm. a hero. You're a hero in this make-believe world and you're going to destroy the evil dragons and, you know, and, and, and save the world. And now the characters are, are, um, you know, you're monsters themselves. Like, yes, yes, yes. You're the monster themselves. And, and the mind flayer is no longer evil. I mean, what the fuck is going on? It's completely, you know, they're they're disintegrating the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah, it, the most interesting, you know, in, in Shrek, uh, I don't remember if it was the first or the second when uh, Shrek the monster had to, you know, marry the princess, it was revealed that she was a monster all along. So, so now she was cast a spell to become this beautiful young princess. Well, inside she was this ugly monster all along. It's a complete reversal of the original meanings, but that comes in a culture that doesn't believe in original meanings anyway, which is very pretentious. Whoever, whoever promotes, you know, this was known from antiquity, whoever promotes uh, absolute relativism is a hypocrite, because to even state that fact, you need to be not a relativist. You know, relativism is self-destructing philosophically. Yeah. It, 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 it relativizes itself. Uh, and, and, you know, that you should learn, people should learn that in, in logic, which is not taught in school anyway. But going back to what you said, yes, the hero's journey, there's many, many examples. You know, there was a statue, I don't remember, in New York of Medusa cutting Perseus' head, you might know, which is the exact reversal of, you know, uh, Perseus cutting uh, Medusa's head. 
And we actually made an episode about that called Dark Mother's Scream. Yeah, that was great. Which is the t- yeah. title of a poem. Uh, because, because it's this, I try to connect it with the whole environmental movement because, you know, people don't know, don't understand culture. It's, it's hard to understand a culture that's radically different to your own. So they look at all these old, seemingly matriarchal cultures right, who were, might not have been matriarchal yeah. in the way we understand it. And they, they see, they project their world of paradise. And that fits in the narrative of, you know, today, like toxic masculinity and stuff like that. And, but then they discover that these people had human sacrifice, uh, sometimes they sacrifice children. They say, this must be a mistake. But perhaps it isn't. Perhaps there is a level of violence that needs to play out in every culture. And all you can do is like redirect it. Perhaps these feminist heavy quotes here, civilizations like the Minoans, just redirected the innate violence in us in these human sacrifices. And they were not as heavenly as would like us to believe. You know, the Western narrative, the Western story or the, the hero myth that Campbell analyzed is of a solar hero, you know, is of a masculine solar hero, probably descended of these Indo-Europeans, if not in flesh, because there was obviously a mix of people as this Indo-Europeans came, definitely in spirit. Spiritually, he's a solar hero who will on occasion go down into the opposite, into this world of night, of mystical women and dragons. You know, you find it in various myths. You find it in the myth of Jason and the Argonauts. You know, Jason goes to the faraway land of Colchis and he meets Medea, who's a witch of the dark goddess Hecate, you know, and together they must steal a treasure from a dragon. So it's almost like it seems to me because um, myths work on so many social levels and Campbell was aware of it. You know, he focused on the personal. He focused on what myths mean for you and how you could map this hero's journey that he discovered on your life, which is great. But there's a social and historical aspect to that. And you see it. And again, we had an episode on Jason and the Argonaut who tried to uh, uh, dive into this as well. Three episodes. It's four episodes because it's yeah, four, four episodes. Yeah, rhapsodies yeah. Yeah. in the original work. So it's one episode for rhapsody. And I try to begin the way the rhapsody begins, which is by usually an invocation to, to some god. And, and you know, and you, you, you have this image of this solar Indo European hero mixing with this pre Indo European layer of witches and bulls and snakes and the moon and night. It's almost like this culture revolved around the moment of its genesis, if that makes sense, which I believe for all cultures, that the cultures revolved around the moment of their birth. And for the Greeks, I see it in mythology, you know, that mix somewhere in the 10th century where the Indo-European culture and the Minoan culture that preceded it mixed, mingled, we do not know how it because no writing has survived from this period, you know, the 
the so-called Bronze Age collapse, the collapse of the Bronze Age world in the 12th century BC, left the survivors illiterate. Writing was erased for centuries. Wow, wow, that's fascinating. So, and some were there. If this Bronze Age collapse happened because of the Indo-European invasion, because of these tribes running over the pre-Indo-European people, then what was left somehow mixed and mingled in Greece was born as a result. Greece has this dual aspect, the Indo-European and the pre-Indo-European. Okay, and usually people focus on one or the other depending on their bias. But in myths like Jason and the Argonauts, you see both. You see a solar hero descending into a pre-Indo-European world where he meets a witch, a a a, a you know a uh, a priestess of a pre-Indo-European goddess, Hecate, the dark mother, and with her help, he defeats a bull, a bull, bronze-legged bull, which is again a very strong Minoan symbol, you know, uh, and 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 takes her back to to, uh, to to Greece. He marries her. He produces children with her. Okay, and these you can think of like the first Greeks, a regenesis. But then, what happens in tragedy? You know, you have a tragedy that was written just when Greece was at its ancient Greece proper, what is at its end. Ancient Greece continued and blended through with Rome almost seamlessly. But um, to me, the, 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 the hammer blow that broke that culture was at the end of the fifth century, you remember counting backwards. So that's literally 400 BC where uh, the Peloponnesian War happened between Athens and Sparta, and Athens lost after a protracted war. And that brought an end, broke that culture, and then it fragmented ever since. And um, uh, right then, you have a play called Medea, because everyone who written the name, if that name rings a bell, Medea is the woman who killed the, her own children, right? So Medea kills her own children because her husband... Uh, it has betrayed her and he's going to marry another woman because her husband is Jason who took her from Colchis and brought her to Greece and uh, now everyone was saying you know you have to marry a proper Greek woman so he betrays her is ready to marry and she kills her own children so to me it's almost like this reversal where the, the dark mother aspect of the culture comes out is when that culture disintegrates which is perhaps where we are as a collective West. You know, the connection that I tried to make is that this whole, if you link up the feminist, the radical feminist movement, the eco movement, the greed movement, you'll find, um, you'll find man-eating elements in both. You know, the green movement for all its declared benevolence, and like I said, I'm sure that people like Mark Zuckerberg and others truly believe in that, eats up the livelihoods of many men who are farmers, and now they're ordered for the farms to shut down because they're not green enough, uh, traditional workers, traditional people, you know. So for all this alleged benevolence, the green movement has this almost man-eating property like Medea, Okay, there's an aspect of the dark mother resurfacing when these cultures are ready to tip over and be destroyed. 
Yeah, it, it, it also makes sense. The violence part you're talking about redirecting that violence that may need to be in every society at a certain level. They're just ignoring the violence from whether you're dying from the jab or you're getting your organs chopped off as a child being sacrificed to this, you know, this new social sort of justice thing, uh, whether it's um, what was the other example I had there, uh, you know, underground child trafficking. I mean, this stuff is all going on. They want to pretend it's not happening. But people are being sacrificed left, right, and center for their agenda. The, the, yeah, that is a very good segue, actually, because I was uh, I bought I haven't read a book. I, I skim read a book called Ritual Torture and Mind Control, and that book uh, contains essentially. It's interesting because it's not written by investigative journalists. It's 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 the transcripts of a help group for people who have suffered what they refer to as mind control and uh and mind control does not have to be like telepathic it's just uh, uh brainwashing psychopathic yeah, yeah. brainwashing and things like that and what it reveals it's interesting that you said that because that the, the thought that i would like to plant to our listeners head is this we are trained to believe that these things that you just mentioned child prostitution ritual sacrifice are exceptions created by some particular psychopaths that for sure have to be apprehended, but they're exceptions to an otherwise rational society. We do not know how history will judge us, just like we don't know how the Aztecs understood their own human sacrifice. Exactly. We think we underst exactly. they understood them as a, a, a conscious offering to their gods for a rational uh for a rational uh, outcome like rain but that's us i don't think that he, if you were to ask an aztec uh, he would give you that very clean pristine account likewise we think that you know to use software engineering terms as i'm software engineer by trade um we think that these these very dark aspects of our culture are a bug but perhaps they're not a bug exactly. they're a feature yeah like like you said it's and perhaps thousands of years later, they're going to say, oh, look, these people, they were so absorbed in their own narrative of progress and logic. Of course, they had to, of course, they had to sacrifice so many children and lock them up and torture. Of course, it, it would make total sense to them. So that book I've mentioned, it just, if it's, if there's anything useful there, it's at least this, it shows you the scope of the whole thing, you know, it goes to things like MK Ultra, and it goes to things like people that are, or officially, not by some crazy ass conspiracy theories, officially known to have been abducted by the by the government and been experimented on in the hundreds, in the thousands, and is this a bug or a feature? Yeah. Well, they'd like to think, they'd like to convince us it's a bug, but I'm not that sure. Yeah. So it's this denial of these primal categories of human existence that just create ugliness, I think. Yeah. I mean, who knows what the Mayans would have. I mean, maybe they had a real uh, healthy relationship with mortality. Maybe they lived a little bit. Yeah healthier they knew that like their time has come and they appreciated well hey i'm i'm the one chosen to be sacrificed yeah uh, you know thank the gods i mean maybe that's yeah yeah you know yet yeah, we'll just yeah. ignore ignore the real sacrifices that are happening here under our noses yeah 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 exactly 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 so so it's 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 a good point you mentioned actually
I mean, I, th I think it kind of brings us to the importance of philosophy as well. I mean, uh, bringing back the metaphysical into politics and the culture, like I think that's what, you know, one of the important things you're doing, looking at all this history to bring back context. And, you know, I really feel like I've been looking at um, enlightenment as, as an obfuscation, you know, a little bit more of uh it's 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 got a negative connotation to me now. The Enlightenment was sort of um, you know ruining ruining the metaphysical reality, and now everything just they can just look at everything magical or everything metaphysical as superstition in a negative way, yeah, just denying that reality. I can sympathize. Reality. Yeah, I can I can sympathize with that view. You know, now if you were to ask me even five years before, I yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, I can yeah I can sympathize because look. As I was looking into, you know, the problems that I see just all around me, uh, I was just, you know, look, looking deeper, which usually means going back into history. Right, right. Where, you know, like, uh, why is this happening? You know, like you mentioned a couple of problems there, you know, all the social justice created. Why is this happening? And then you go, oh, so we have the 60s. And that's okay, the 60s. But why did the 60s happen? Well, we have the Second World War. But, and then you go back and you almost hit a horizon around the beginning of the Enlightenment. Yeah. Things flip. It's very it's, interesting. Yeah, you talk, I had a specific question. You talk about that flip in consciousness in the 1600s something mm, happened mm, and mm, yet look mm. at what they were doing in the late 1600s. They're literally like witches on trial. In New England, I mean, and in the state and mm. and in the UK, I mean, they were burning witches in the late 1600s. Well, it's interesting because witch hunting, witch hunting literally well, it came late, which is what most yeah. people do not know. Yeah, they exactly. think of this whole burning witches as, as something like, like dark in ages, the deep or something. middle ages. Yeah, no, it was very late, which tells something about, you know, it's not the ignorance that brought it about, but a false type of knowledge exactly. about what you were seeing. Um, but it's, you know, people who might find this idea strange of a, like a watershed moment around the 16th century, you can kind of limit like you do in mathematics and calculus, you know, when you can't solve an equation in a specific point, you try to limit it. You get as close as you can on one side and as close. And it's really interesting when you do that, when you compare works, you know, when you compare something like um you know something like descartes descartes wrote a book summing up essentially what would become the scientific method it's called discourse and method again very interesting book i can see you take notes uh not all the books that i mentioned are with, but this one is you know if you want to read like this one is definitely a very short book 40 pages uh i wrote an article in it you might share it's literally the beginning of the scientific method and it makes perfect sense to us we get it we're like yeah it's so it's so commonsensical that it's almost boring you know um but then that was middle of the 16th century you go back 150 years to find an equivalent, there was this uh, scientist for his time, Pico de Mirandola, who wrote uh, Ode to Man. And that's kind of the equivalent. It's like a cell, you know, semi-autobiography introductory to his main work. So Descartes' Discord, it's a semi-autobiography that introduces the reader to his main works. Pico de la Mirandola, introductory, semi-biography introduces. Nothing to do with each other. Pico de la Mirandola talked about 
uh, a unification of all knowledge, mystical and rational, the Kabbalah with the Platonic, you know, the Kabbalah numerology with, with Pythagorean mathematics, you know, uh, the, 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 the Christian Bible with, with, with Plato's ideas and things like that. It's really strange for us. We can only, we can only understand them, understand these things as metaphors, uh, but they're only metaphors for us you know, whose understanding about reality has darkened yeah. by this yeah. enlightenment. It's almost like it's almost the reverse, just like all this sort of satanic stuff. I mean, it's the reversal again. It's the enlightenment. But really, we're going to we're going to create the dim age. Uh, what about where does Francis Bacon fit into that whole Pica de Marandola and and I, I haven't read a lot from the little that I know of him. He was from on the modern side in he was this proponent of science i don't know enough about him it seems like it was to, right around that say. same time you know he's kind yeah, of yeah 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 this, this 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 turn but you see the difference i mean these moderns like descartes they tell you straight away what we're doing is just a break so it's interesting how historians have not picked up on that and they insist on this narrative of progress that it's just one person building. But they tell you in your face, Descartes, Machiavelli, all the moderns who wrote around this time, they tell you what we're doing is we're turning the page. We're kind of doing away with the ancients and starting anew. Okay. So 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 it's right there in the texts, you know. That's fascinating. And that and that's the the beginning of the end, really. I mean, the modern I mean, this is like, where are we going to end up from here? I mean, I feel like there's a there's been a uh, as far as sort of political political struggles go, I feel like there's been an eternal struggle with humanity between sort of this freedom and and being tyrannized in a way or controlled. Do you think that do you think we're, you know, can we get out of this sort of materialistic hellscape? right now that's sort of i mean because it really is coming down it's bearing upon us in a lot of ways i mean you can look at it that there's a lot of people waking up there's a sort of a freedom movement but i mean i don't think they're planning on stopping anytime soon so do, do you think we have a chance out of this uh, yeah uh, definitely i wouldn't be alive if if i did i didn't um which is why i i i am so into philosophy because I'm trying to go back to that moment where it all started. The more I live, the more I see this world as a natural consequence of the foundations that were laid right around that time. It's an unfolding, you know, from Descartes' work to transhumanism, which, by the way, he mentions in his book, Discourse and Method, in the middle of the 17th century. Um, it's 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 one step of of reason you know it took 400 years because that's how long it took to be implemented or 300 um but it uh, uh it rationally it's just one step of logic you know so i see our world as an unfolding and we need to go back to how it started to get a perspective so you know um drawing towards the close of this of this great uh, like I said, again, much, much, much appreciated. Um, just to answer your question, in a way, I've done so twice, but I like it. It's worth it. I have the text in front of me. So with your permission, it's a small passage yeah. by a book by a man called Ernst Jünger. 
right? Ernst Jünger was a really fascinating personality who fought in the First World War as a, as a stormtrooper, as they were called, and then became like, uh, uh, he wrote a book called Storm of Steel about his experiences from the German perspective, right? The experience of the First World War from someone who fought on the German side. And it became very, very popular. And in the Second World War, he was actually a lieutenant in the German, the Nazi army. Uh, and uh, he was into all sorts of things, from mysticism to philosophy to psychedelics. He tripped on LSD. He said, I understand the acronym LSD. He said in German is love seeks you, love seeks Dao, however they call it. So he goes from being a Nazi lieutenant to the psychom. Really fascinating. And he writes this book in the 1950s, which after, you know, after uh, the Second World War is over, and just when this brave new world that we talk about was beginning. And in the Forest Passage, that's how it's called. Again, not necessarily a book I'd recommend because it's difficult, it's dense. Um, in that book, essentially, he recounts the story of a dissident, you know, who was against the regime. The regime is not mentioned, but the time, the 50s, it's obviously not the Nazi regime. So it's some tyrannical regime that came after that, right? So our dissident lives in this dystopian world and tries, and he traces the steps that he tries to, uh, to combat that tyranny. Okay, step number one, he votes for the opposition. He says, and he says, our, our dissident, he goes, musters all his courage, votes for the opposition. Comes back home, opens the TV, and he sees what? His party went from, you know, 2.7% to 2.9%. And now the media is all over the place. You know, the, the extremists are on the rise, you know, which a lot of people can relate. So this didn't work. All that did, you know, it didn't give much power to his side, but it fed the fear for the tyrannical government to crack down more on that. So this didn't work, right? So then he goes, um, so then he goes, he goes and becomes almost like a graffiti artist. You know, uh, he becomes an artist, so he becomes like an artistic terrorist and he creates this graffiti. Jünger doesn't mention him, obviously, because he can half relate to Banksy. The, the image that I got was that of, you know, almost saying it without saying it. You know, instead of saying down with the regime, you have something else. Yeah, yeah. Like meme, it's almost like fails. he's a meme lord in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that fails, the other fails, 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 fails. So he takes us to the end of this book. And Ernst Jünger has this passage, which I'm going to read, and he wants to say that it's, it's all in language, you know? That's where the magic is, ultimately. Yeah. And he yeah. says this, and I quote, two kinds of history can be said to exist, one in the world of things, the other in the world of language. The second contains not only the higher insight, but also the more effective power. Even the base must constantly regenerate itself from that, this force, also when it turns to violence. Yet the suffering passes and is transfigured into poetry. It is an old error to believe that we can judge when a poet may be awaited by the state of language. Language can be in full decay, and yet a poet will emerge from it like a lion out of the desert. Conversely, fruits do not always follow an exceptional bloom. Language does not live from its rules, for otherwise 
grammaticians would rule the world. On the primal ground, the word is no longer formed, no longer a key. It becomes identical with being. It becomes creative energy. That is the source of its immense, unmutable power. And there, no more than approaches take place. Language lives and moves around silence, as an oasis forms around a spring. A poem confirms that a man has managed to enter the timeless garden. Time then lives on this. Even when language has declined to a mere instrument for technicians and bureaucrats and tries to borrow from slang to simulate vitality, it is, it, it, in its latent power, it remains utterly unweakened. The dullness and the dust merely touch its surface. If we dig deeper, deeper we reach a well-bearing seam in every desert of this earth. And with these waters, new fertility rises to the surface. Awesome. Thank you. That's great. I mean, it's such an important point because language right now is being used against us in the most extreme way. I mean, they're just changing yeah, definitions yeah, as they want. Yeah. They're just using it against us. So it's it's uh, it's such an important point. Too bad the English language really doesn't, you know, do it's do really it's just hard to describe things through the English language, you know? Well, perhaps, perhaps not. But uh, I like, you know, that's. Uh... It's a whole other topic. Yeah. Thing. Thanks. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us. So how, how, uh, how can our listeners uh, find your stuff? Get a hold of you. So ancient Greece revisited on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, our channel on tyranny is intermixed. So it's like a playlist within this. Uh, forgive us for the last episode. The sound was not that great, but it's an interesting one. It talks about rational conspiracy theories. And I have a channel on Twitter on tyranny. I post little snippets from philosophers that I find very interesting try to stay true to the title on tyranny, trying to understand uh, the rise of a modern tyranny as I see it. Have Could you, be wrong, uh, yeah, but yeah. it's better to be careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, do you have any, uh, are you on, have you had any problems with YouTube at all? Are you on podcast platforms as well? No, no, uh, I'm not big enough and uh, I'm, I'm careful enough. Uh, perhaps, yeah, I have touched a couple of issues that would be not, uh, you know, I never know. You never know no, whether never YouTube know. shadow yeah. banned you or not. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. Um, I definitely have not had any problems. That's with good. That. That's good. Right on. Well, I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. And thanks for, uh, thank thanks you for very joining much, me. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Keep in, keep in touch. Likewise. Thank you very, very okay, much. Okay. I'd love to do it again. Yeah. See you, Michael. Life.